Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Monaco PSG was postponed on Sunday, making Marseille the stars of this game week, with Bounassar and Nemanja Radonic, the unlikely heroes. OM are now comfortably second as Nice woke up to defeat Angers. Lyon also have an unlikely hero in Maxwell Cornet as they beat Strasbourg 2-1. We'll discuss all the latest from Ligue 1 and make sure you stick around till the end when we talk about France's group of death at the Euro and, of course, the Ballon d'Or ceremony in Paris today. I'm Pierre-Paul Birmingham. Uh, with me as usual today, Mohamed Ali. Hi, Mo. Hello. How was your Sunday evening free from uh, Ligue 1? Yeah, no, um, I had the chance to watch uh, Madrid-Barcelona last night, which was probably a better game in quality terms. Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, is that? Yeah. Yes. Must have been exciting, indeed. Uh, and with us today, Philippe Bargiel. Philippe, you were supposed to go to the Monaco PSG game. What happened? Um, well, conditions. Uh, I was uh, actually was uh, quite lucky because I, I planned uh, a trip in the, on the south coast the whole weekend. Mm -hmm. So I attended Nîmes um, Duo versus Metz. And then the, uh, the, train, um, the train company in France, it's called the SNCF, is uh, having a huge strike here on Thursday. Just to, you know, because that's what uh, we do. Uh, anyway, I had, uh, had plans on staying at Nice. And uh, when at Avignon, uh, the train stopped at Toulon because uh, um, the, the weather conditions were so bad that uh, actually uh, people, actually, uh, there were a lot of... Um, uh, lots of uh, drama in the in the news. Uh, actually, six people died. So yeah, lots of died. lots yeah. of flooding. Lots of flooding. Lots of. Uh, and actually, I don't think there were storms. I haven't seen anything, but uh, rains worth two two weeks of rain or something like that. I heard. Well, anyway, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean. So the, have you the, made your way week... home safely? No, I did. I didn't make my way home. That's why I said I was lucky because at Avignon it was uh, what it was. Um, one o'clock in the afternoon okay. on Sunday when, uh, first of all, the, Le Parisien uh, first uh, confirmed that the game was postponed, mm. which was great to hear, you know, um, and uh, that uh, my train wouldn't even go all the way up to Nice, which was, which is kind of a, which, which, which is a very, very long way when you live in Paris. It's six hours on the train. It's, uh, it's very, very long. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, really, it really kicked in, it really kicked in, uh, uh, today, that uh, you know, if I want to go to Monaco, I have to do the whole thing all over again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no Monaco PSG, no, not much, uh, not much we can do about the weather. Not much we can do about the weather. People, people on the south coast are pretty pissed off about you know losing their homes, and and it's been going on for for ages. There's loads of houses that just get flooded every year. Mm. Anyway. It's yeah, there's okay. there's no question that cancelling the match was the right decision. No, of course. Uh, given what was going on, there's also going to be strikes uh, this week, which apparently hasn't uh, worried the clubs or the league yet. And there's no postponements announced for now. Uh, but we never know how far these things can go. So we'll obviously have to keep track of that. Nobody's In, playing on Thursday, are they? On Thursday, I don't think no. so. No, no. So no, everyone's going to be fine. Nobody, I mean, it's going to be cold anyway. Nobody's going to go. Let's talk about the football that happened, and uh, let's throw our minds back to Friday evening. Mo Marseille beat Brest two one. 
it, I thought this was a terrific game of football. It was. Um, it was a fantastic game. And I think um, for, for the listeners um, who look at the scoreline, which ended 2-1, and think that it was a close fixture, it really wasn't. Mm. Um, and I really think that Marseille should have won six by six goals. Could have easily have scored seven or eight, uh, even. Um, and at one point, Prest, um also could have had uh, a pick within the goals when uh, I think Cardone was, who who hit both posts after beating Mondanda and uh, seeing the ball cannon off, off the line uh, was mm. pretty unlucky. But um, you know we've spoken a lot about Marseille winning obviously recently, but um, the style has been a bit on and off. Was it you know? So was it individual brilliance, as was the case uh, with Payet against Leon, or was it um, sort of strained and um, and a bit sloppy like it was against Lille um, and, and Toulouse as well? But this was really all out, raw, you know, sort of attacking power. Thirty four shots, um, which was the, the league the league's highest for for six and a half years. Um, cast your mind back to that. Famous mm. Paris draw against Ajaccio with Guillermo Ochoa, yeah, who well. was probably one of the best goalkeeping performances this decade in any European league. Mm, um, absolutely. But this was, you know, this was really full power from Marseille, who hit the post three times uh, or four. I, I really did lose count. Um, and it took, you know, it took nearly an hour to, to open the scoring. Um, and I thought it was really done and dusted by that point. But Cardona's equaliser really sort of, you know, I really started to think, you know, well, we've really missed an opportunity here before the Serbian uh, Ronaldo had turned up once more <laughs> for the second week in a row, um, coming off the bench with a really, really good, really, really good goal um, to steal it just about 40 or 50 seconds after Cardona had equalised and earned Marseille that win. So, you know, it puts OM now clear in second, four points. Um and, you know, really, they were really amazing. You know, like uh, Andre Villas said on Friday night after the game, it was his probably his best performance as OM coach. That's absolutely uh, fair to me because every player seemed to have done well, um, or every out player, outfield player at least, um, you know, the likes of Amavi were, were, were much better. Saar was amongst the goals, even though he had a very poor first half. Um, Benedetto showed his power once more, and I thought it was really smart in jumping over Lassner um, to deceive him. And I think that, that moment really was brilliant. Underestimated, yeah. That it was really underestimated, and a lot of people didn't focus on it. But if, mm. if, if our listeners, you know, watch that goal again, see Benedetto dummy the goalkeeper by jumping over him. And his his jump move, is really yeah. beautiful. It's like a exactly. It, it's I thought it was graceful. a racehorse jumping over exactly. a hurdle. You know? he, it really, he really was. Gets it really air was, under yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, it was all perfect for me. Yeah, coming from um, that goal came from a pass from Payet, which was also really nice with the outside of the foot. And I th I thought it was quite unlucky for Dimitri Payet that you know he wasn't on the score sheet because he was really making things happen for Marseille Especially in the first half. He was he was a driving force yeah. in the first half, and it just goes to show you know, uh, and credit must go to AVB again. I will say it because. And I have to say it, and maybe people will get a bit tired of me, but, you know, it's, it's these moments you should remember, um, you know, when it's the doom and gloom, and there probably might be doom and gloom coming in the next couple of games or, you know, early on 
next year in the second half of the season. Um, but AVB absolutely deserves credit. And you have to remember this time a month ago, he was being criticised left, right and centre. Uh, but he's really bringing out the best. You know, he's really started with Mondonda and, um, you know, he's, he's obviously much better player this season. But the likes of Payet and Amavi and, and even uh, Radonjic, who I think would be his greatest success because this was a guy who until seven days ago did not... Um, did not have a goal or assist and has now probably more goals than Lionel Messi in, in the last five days, um, in five, <laughs> six days. So this is, you know, he's, he's, he's getting the players really performing. The team is very cohesive and they are a massive unit. If you see the videos posted by the club's channels on, uh, on Monday, you know, they're, they're all really smiling and really enjoying the training sessions. Uh, the coaches, you know, involved. Um, and, and what I, what I, really notice is that all of them seem to take an opportunity wherever it presents itself in the press conferences or the interviews to criticise how bad things were last year. Uh, Shaleta Saar being the latest one this afternoon um, for the press conference for this week's matches saying, well, the difference is that we're all happy compared to last year, which is the truth. And probably that's what you saw with Marseille a lot last year. Um, but yeah, long may it continue. Tomorrow, obviously, it's a, it's a big game, um, which I'm personally a bit concerned for, uh, given Angers' uh, very, very successful home record so far. Um, but it's mm. second against third. It's second against third in December um, and the chance to move obviously other results permitting seven points clear of the team in third. <laughs> um, and two points behind PSG, might I add, as well. Obviously, there are games to play, but it really is slowly, as we get, you know, week by week, slowly Everything is falling into place. Yeah, top of the table clash. Um, it's seven points, assuming Montpellier doesn't win. Which yeah, uh, assuming. It... <laughs> oh, Montpellier play Wednesday, so I'm just looking at the table. Oh, okay. <laughs> As it would be. And I also don't mean to bring your mood down, but Messi did score against Dortmund and Atletico in the past week. Well, it will um, be equal then, yeah. So he's... <laughs> We do have a question on Twitter from at Adin Halilovic16, who asks us, does Radonjic deserve a bigger club than Marseille? No. <laughs> Simple answer. Simple answer is that we mustn't get ahead of ourselves. Is he showing brilliance? Yes. But this is two games out of 30, literally. Um, 12 million euros. He's shown, he's proven nothing yet. He's come off the bench. Finally, he's repaying the faith of Villas Boas. Um, and, you know, he's staking his claim, you know, Marseille needs squad players for when Pai doesn't have a good game or when Tolman is injured, as is the case. Um, you know, the players that can come in. Sach has, you know, he's gone up and down in terms of consistency. Um, you know, he, he gets moved around a bit. He's a better right back than he is a right midfielder, considering they spent 80% of his career at right midfield or right wing. Um, you know, it's, it's about really just taking the opportunities. And it's the last week that probably Radonjic, you know, talked to a Marseille, any Marseille fan 10 days ago. They would have told him, if we sell him in January, it's absolutely no loss whatsoever. <laughs> he's now afforded them six or four points. He's now won them four points on the back of a successful international break with Serbia as well. Things are falling into place. And he's, he's, he's coming from nowhere. Like, I've actually been scanning, you know, the OM social feeds like, I actually never saw Radonjic, you know, a uh, post about Radonjic or, or like an interview or something. Now he's obviously at the forefront of all the channels. Um, so <laughs> he's really, 
it's blasting in the limelight. And I hope you know it continues because Marseille need a squad that's performing, not a not an eleven or as is too often the case, two or three players that drag the team over the line, as was you know Torvan last year, Balotelli to some extent, uh, and Kamara, and everybody else is of middling quality. You know, you need a couple of players. That's a real squad effort, and there's still a long time to go. There's 22, 23 games to go, um, and th- there's only 17 or 18 first-team players. So it's going to be an awful ask still for these players, even if they do go several points clear uh, this time tomorrow evening. Um, but, you know, at the moment, Marseille are, are honestly the best of the rest, and that's just a simple fact of it. Yeah, that's what uh, I'm getting from uh, most of my Marseille supporting fans, uh, Marseille friends, sorry, um, who are, a lot of them live in Paris, uh, that um, the quality of the players don't, don't necessarily mean that they're going to win the game week in, week out. It's just that they are winning the games, and this despite a limited squad. Again, that's their, their words, not mine. Um, I find the squad to be okay, and uh, I, for one, you know, welcome the fact that Marseille are second and four points clear, uh, and you know, only five points clear from from us, you know, at this moment in time, even though we've got a game in hand. Um, and yeah, really seconded uh, what you just said about the quality of the players and uh, how much AVB. Uh, deserves deserves credit for for it, for turning things things around, and I don't remember him uh, doing anything like this so successfully in such a short period of time since uh, maybe Porto. I mean, I'm not 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 sure if uh, what he did at Chelsea uh, remained to be a success or not, or what he did at Zenit in Petersburg. But it's very impressive how he turned things around because he just came over in August, and uh, uh, yeah, it's been working very very well. It's very, I mean, I'm impressed. And For... a lot has to do, sorry, if I could just butt in there. Yeah, yeah, of course. A lot has to do uh, with the fact that they've only had, obviously, such a small amount of money to play with. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, in relative terms, they still managed to spend 27 million, but, you know, only on two players. Um, but those two players have really, or three players, if you include the, the loan for Alvaro, but all of those players have come in and really hit the ground running. And, you know, for example, I mean, we all knew Valentin Angier's uh, talents. Um, you know, and Nantes, you know, he's, he's probably one of the, well, the probably best midfielder outside of the top four, um, as many many would see it. But he's really slotted into this team. He's, he's, he's the most important midfielder Marseille has. He's all over the place. And he was excellent as well, again. And this is... In all the wins since the PSG game, he's probably been, you know, one of the men of the match, if not the man of the match. He's been absolutely fantastic. And he does a lot in really converting Marseille from a very static, stale midfield uh, setup that just focuses on wing play to a team that's not afraid to really, you know, go down the middle using, you know, wide opening up space, but also relying on Benetetto's strength and movement to cause issues. But you know, as you saw with Rudy Garcia, there was a lot of pinball going up and down, left and right. You know, focusing on either Pai on the left, Torvan and Sa on the right. And you know, it, it, if it worked great, but teams would really often find out when they sit back with two banks of four. Now Marseille have a very confident midfield. You know, Strootman hasn't wasn't bad on Friday, but he's obviously immobile as a defensive midfielder. But when you've got Rongier, Strootman, Lopez, or, or, or Sanson 
um, or even Kamara coming in, they're not afraid to go straight down the middle. That's one thing I've noticed. They're not afraid to drive through the middle using that as a secondary attacking source. We often said last year there was no plan B for Marseille when they were found out by, by opponents and they were easily found out. And that's what led to Rudy Garcia's demise. That one led to them being so beatable last year. But this year, there seems to be a couple of options. They have a base formation, but there's so many little changes and amendments that are happening. Against, against Brest, there were 34 shots. The reason why there were 34 is because they didn't do the same thing over and over again. There were so many different combinations in play. And there were so many sort of, you know, players having like a pop-up goal. So many, you know, opportunities. And it continued right the way through. Last year, you remember, there were phases, you know, where Marseille would be strong for the first 15 minutes and then falter away or, or really only balance for like between 45th minute and 60th minute. Friday showed that they're able to attack and attack hard for 90 minutes. Yes, it's only breast after all, but, you know, it, it's a massive good sign that this is happening. This goes to show when a player wants to play for a club, he really wants to play for a club. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I mean, he, he said it in the, in the press and he, he almost put pressure on it on himself, but... You know, when 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 you want something, generally, I mean, you're very happy to have it. And I think I think Orgy is probably playing his, his, his the best football he's ever played, and much better than he played at Nantes. I still think that uh, Marseille will regret the 50% sell-on clause that they gave Nantes when they tried to when they signed Rongier. Um, they're well, probably you know, going to Rongier. If Rongier <laughs> ends up going to Barcelona or Real Madrid or or to the Premier League, and they're paying 40 million. Let them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we would have had a player who's really helped the cause, right? That's that's the down. That's the that's the upside. Upside that, of it all. That, that, that is true. true. <laughs> uh, for more on AVB and Marseille, you can of course check out uh, the article in the Guardian by GFFN writers Adam White and Eric Devin. They wrote it this week on on AVB. Every week they have a every Monday they have an article on on Ligue weekend action, which is always excellent. So I recommend that. Mo, I do want to point out that um, I was looking at the this you know the kind of fictional table based on expected goals. Yeah. Um, this one is done by Cotestats.fr, and they show Marseille being in eighth place according to expected goals, which. On the basis of Friday's match alone was very surprising because obviously they had some fantastic chances. Well, uh, well I mean, I saw the expected goals for Friday's match alone. And the expected goals was 4.63. Mm. Um, so that was remarkable. I think I, that's all, I rarely see it that high. Um, but yeah, um, if you look, most of the games have been scrappy affairs. Most of the wins have, you know, have been one goal affairs or, or um, you know, I, I really, you know, apart from the Toulouse, maybe the Strasbourg game. The other wins have been by one goal, and the goals have come from very scrappy sources. Um, and there hasn't been much attacking impetus Friday's game aside. So that doesn't surprise me, but it's all about etching victories, turning draws into victories, or, or where you're, you're not in a match-winning position to hold on to a point rather than being easily overrun. So, you know, stats don't tell the whole story, but the, the, the impetus, the, the, the determination and the desire to sort of hold your own is more important, and that's you know, happening at OM at the moment. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, and just for reference, the other team that is uh, overachieving relative to its expected goals, you know, however reliable that may be or not, uh, and the same level as Marseille is Saint-Étienne, who, according to the XG table, would be, uh, what is that, 17th. 
um, which is quite surprising. Uh, before we move on, I will say just a little word for for Brest because um, as dominant as Marseille were and, and they really played well, uh, there's no doubt, Brest as well put in a pretty good performance and, uh, you know, refused to simply sit back and, and defend like many teams would. They actually tried playing out from the back, which is something that, you know, is quite frequent with teams managed by Olivier Dalolio. And, uh, you know, they almost got a point which would not have been uh, a, a deserved result based on what Marseille was showing. But I did feel that, you know, I, I was glad for them that they were able to score in the end because they, they you know, they, they played well. They deserved a little something from that. Let's move on then to the Lyon match. Lyon were playing away to Strasbourg on Saturday afternoon. Strasbourg obviously in form coming into it, having scored eight goals in the previous two. Lyon having lost to Zenit St. Petersburg in the Champions League midweek. And uh, there was an announcement made before the game with the team's lineup, Mo, that Maxence Cacré, 19 years old, would make his debut for Lyon as a starter. Uh, this really... <laughs> Lyon Twitter was very enthusiastic about this. Do you have uh, some idea why? No idea. Um, yeah, I have to say, I, I hadn't really heard of him before then. <laughs> Um, yeah, no. He I had a few bench appearances. Yeah, that came exactly. on. Mm. Yeah. Oh right, um, he he did all right. He half delivered an assist for Cornet. I don't think it will count because it kind of took a deflection off a defender. They they really did. They really did maximize that though. You know, saying that oh this young kid had had come off his Premier League one appearance and um, <laughs> and and got an assist where. If you look back on it, I really, it really was very fortuitous. I, I don't, I, yes. yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I will say it was actually, yeah, it was two deflections between the moment he passed the ball and the moment it reached uh, Cornet. The trajectory was about the same, but, you know, it, there was a, a good bit of fortune there. Um, what did you guys make of Lyon in this one? Uh, it wasn't an easy game by any means, and it was quite tense, even a little nervous uh, at times in the second half. Uh, but they did come out of it with a win. I'd say, yeah, I'd say they, they um, what's, um, again, the big problem up front with no Depay. I mean, there's a, a huge problem uh, in terms of creativity and that Dembele still hasn't scored it on in the Champions League. Uh, he's not confident about um, about that. He scored more goals for Celtic than, uh, than, for, than for you in, uh, in the Champions League. The guys aren't really coming in for him, uh, but the players all around, all around him are, are pretty are pretty good. Uh, you, you, you can see Cornet and uh, Jeffrey Adelaide scoring uh, yesterday, but it's still um, quite fragile in the uh, creative department, I would say. And uh, having your your you know buteur maison, your 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 centre forward that you usually rely on for goals to be on a on a dry spell. Isn't isn't good, but on the other, uh, having said that, on the on the other hand, you keep winning games. This was uh, your second win in a row since they lost at Marseille. Uh, actually, they're fourth in in five games, which is not bad. Uh, um, you keep getting getting those wins despite your centre forward not scoring, which is which is uh, which is promising. And you can see that Lyon are making are making the right progress. I mean, they're now they're now seventh in the table, two points from from Angers, 
who have a big game coming up against um, against Marseille. Lyon, uh, um, they're hosting they're hosting Lille. We'll see. I think this will be a real test of Garcia, though. Uh, Lyon versus Lille. But uh, to me, he's turned it around. He's turned he's turned it around from um, from uh, someone who who really weren't doing well under the under a new untested manager. Um, he's not popular. Everybody hates him. That's you know, <laughs> that's not that's not good to change. There was a Black Friday. Uh, there was a Twitter uh, joke. A Black Friday sell. Uh, we give. Uh, we can give away Maxwell We give him a minus thirty percent discount. Uh, and they, you know, they had this this thing for five players. And for Garcia, they say we we just give it for free. That's that's because we really really don't like him. But you know, I mean, the results are coming in. The results are coming in, and uh, you aren't. Uh, they're not far from from third, so we could have a nice uh, rivalry to finish second between the the two uh, the two Olympique. That's the way I see it. I mean, uh, I think Lille now that they're out of the Champions League, um, I think they'll have uh, they'll have better performances. And uh, but the big the big uh, the big dark spot is of course the defeat in St Petersburg. I mean, Lyon are effectively well, they're not out of it. But they need to beat a very, very informed Leipzig side uh, at uh, at home. So that's you know I, I don't think I honestly don't see Lyon uh, actually progressing to the to the knockout stages. But I, I I can see them settling in third in front of Angers, Montpellier, Bordeaux, Nantes, who are not as good on the pitch, don't have the players that Lyon have, and especially not in the youth ranks. Yeah, it's a, it'll be a very exciting match next week against uh, Leipzig. And hopefully, as you say, Moussa Dembélé can kind of start scoring in the Champions League. But, you know, he is the top scorer in Ligue 1 at the moment with mm. 10 goals so far. So we should give him uh, a little bit of credit for that. And you mentioned as well briefly... Ma- Max- Sorry? A couple of penalties. Well, it's two out of 10. That, but... That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, you mentioned as well Maxwell Cornet, who is, you know, he's yeah. not the most popular figure either around Lyon. Uh, yeah. But I have to say, I quite like effective. him. Yeah, I feel like he has he has some very strong moments. Obviously, the match of, against Manchester City last year was kind of his his iconic uh, top performance. But every once in a while, he puts in a really good game, like he on Saturday. Sure. Yeah, he um, reminds me a lot of um, Clinton Ng. Um, mm. For say, for example, Marseille last last year, where or a couple of years, where for every couple of you know poor games. Um, comes uh, a really decent sort of performance in 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 in, in against in big matches or 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 you know in continental competition um and they they make the effect sometimes especially when the other team or when the team as a whole is doing really poorly they come up trumps and if you look at saturday's game corner was outstanding um he he took his finish well for the for the equalizer mm. um and then the ball to ran adelaide was really pinpoint um, and they you know normally what we've seen is that Leon have perhaps got a couple of goals from fortuitous areas from lucky areas from uh, or from the penalty spot as is often the case but um you know that the source of their goals was really really good and and they're, they're very stodgy if you looked in uh, in the Champions League against any of the week they were easily run over um and yes Marseille results aside they've one four of their last five in Liga, and they're they're climbing up the table, and probably domestically they're studying, but there's still a lot of 
you know, listlessness or lifelessness rather mm. um, in that squad. Um, you know, I don't know how that's going to be sort of affected, but in every big game so far, they failed. Um, they, they failed or they've been very lucky. Um, and so they've got, you know, a big game tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Um, against Tuesday, and, you know, it's, it's a little side that have been obviously very shoddy away from home. But then they've got to contend that with a massive game next week uh, in the Champions League um, against, against Leipzig. Um, and they haven't really shown that their players have really been all guns firing. They've either relied on individual billions or, or on Depay um, or Ren Adelaide for the last couple of you know, games has been coming up trumps, even though it doesn't seem to have the full confidence of Rudy Garcia yet. There still seems to be some ideas that need to be honed in that team. Um, but yeah, I mean, they won. That's important. They, I guess the Strasbourg side, who came up trumps uh, last week, and, uh, you know, have won the last two games uh, by, by big margin. So to, to silence them, to put them on the back burner, I really thought that they would lose that game. And then obviously at, at one point it looked like they, they were. Um, so, you know, give them their kudos this week. Um, the real test comes up in the next week. They've got three games in, in eight days, which could have a massive impact on their season. They lose either tomorrow uh, or on Friday against Nîmes. Um, then it really sort of pegs them back once more. Obviously, Marseille side, Marseille results pending. It really pegs them up a bit more. They could be... Uh, nine behind Marseille uh, at the end, by the end of this week. But then the Champions League, obviously, do they qualify um, next week and focus on, you know, developing with, a, with, an, with an idea of going far in the Champions League? Um, or do they f- focus on the Europa or, you know, get, get knocked out and having to go through the Europa League, which will put added strain on their domestic form in 2020, or do they? Well, I'm not entirely sure, so don't don't quote me on this. But you know, they do still probably have a chance to get knocked out altogether, um, which will be a massive failure, considering. So it's a big test for Rudy Garcia, um, and I don't think they've shown enough yet to warrant that. You know, any confidence that they'll get through it unscathed. So it's going to be a big week for them. See, if I were a Marseille fan, I would wish uh, Lyon to progress. Oddly. Because I, do. Then, I mean, I really do. Europa League, obviously. Not, yeah, but not probably not for the same League. reasons. Because <laughs> Lyon, because because Lyon would uh, would get knocked out in the first knockout stage in the Champions League, so we'd only have two uh, two games to play. Uh, because they'll face uh, someone who finishes top and someone who should beat them. Whereas if they do finish third, they'll have the Europa League and they'll have loads of uh, uh, um, they'll have loads of uh, loads of games. <laughs> Those are games to play, and that would fall in Marseille's favor, shall we say, to finish second. But Philippe, the UEFA coefficient, our yeah. beloved. Well, again, I mean, I'm, 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 just... I'm, I'm sorry, damage has already been done on that front. That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, so, you know, uh, and that's that's one that's probably a whole podcast in itself, which we can do further <laughs> down the line, but that is. It's just shocking, I mean, and I think we can yeah. just reuse it from last year or the year before or, or whenever for that one. To be honest, it tends to happen yeah. quite a bit. Um, as you mentioned, they play Lille tomorrow. They're tied on points with Lille, twenty-two each. Uh, so that's kind of exciting. Who can 
you know, come victorious from that one. It'll be played in Lyon. From uh, Strasbourg's perspective, I do want to mention what an incredible match Mohamed Simakan had. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also 19. He, I think, had his debut with Strasbourg uh, back in August in the uh, Europa League qualifiers, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he's really turning out to be quite a player. Part of the reason why uh, Moussa Dembele was actually, was, uh, you know, didn't score this weekend uh, was that uh, he was definitely shut down by Simacan. I watched uh, all of Strasbourg's qualifiers in, in the Europa League in the summer and uh, he wasn't actually playing centre-back, he was playing uh, white wing back, right back in the squad yeah. too. Yeah. And uh, so we... So, in that position, you're you're more uh, judged by your ability to run the, run up and down the wing, rather than you know actually defend properly. But uh, from all I've heard, I've heard from uh, Saturday's performances that he really had Dembele in his back pocket, mm. and he really I mean Dembele was completely useless to next uh, next <laughs> He took absolutely every yeah. ball uh, in the air um, with with his feet. Uh, um, uh, how how he how he came out of the the challenges. In front of him, I mean, a very, very, very good game for someone who hasn't played centre half that often in his career. Mm. So that's uh, he's been he's been playing there for a few weeks now. However, with uh, Strasbourg and right. becoming quite a regular. Uh, for Lyon, the tough news from this match is that Leo Dubois has been injured, and the analysis today revealed that he would be out for. At probably around three months, uh, which is obviously a, a big loss, given that he's sort of vice captain. Lyon have quite a lot of injuries right now. Uh, Mo, as I'm sure you know, Rudy Garcia is uh, not happy with uh, the physical or the athletic training put in place by Silvino before Garcia's own arrival, and he's oh, blaming was... all the muscular injuries <laughs> was... on this. But uh... oh, that was a funny, funny joke going around sort of the Marseille uh, fans last year that there was a lot of muscular injuries uh, <laughs> last year um, which might have something to do with the fitness coach Paolo Rongioni and his slightly peculiar regime now Rongioni's left Marseille and has gone to Lyon um, in his oh suitcase so you know I'm not saying two, two plus two equals four but probably in this case certainly does <laughs> well um, shall we move on to Rennes Saint Etienne, the uh, the two French teams that were eliminated from Europa League in rather terrible, miserable circumstances? Anyways, they were playing each other on Sunday, and it was, I guess, better, more entertaining than you know their Europa League matches usually are. Rennes coming out of it with a late, late win, two one. Damien da Silva equalizing, uh, scoring the winner at the very end of extra time off of a corner. Uh, Philippe, this is good news for Rennes, who have been struggling for a while. I think this was their first win in like a month. Um, something like that. But there was the international break. They lost at Dijon. Uh, That's true. The week before. They did beat Amiens. Uh, I think it's a huge sign of relief for uh, Stéphane. Uh, he's, been, yeah, he's been quite criticised because we've been absolutely shocking. Those those two sides have been absolutely shocking in the um, in the Europa League. So uh, both are knocked out in the group stages. We've got zero uh, French sides in the Europa League uh, draw, except for maybe Lyon if they finish third. 
Um, and uh, yes, yeah, things have been not been going that well for Stéphane since his uh, French Cup success. Um, lots of uh, no wins, basically. So he he beat Strasbourg. We just talked about Strasbourg in late August, and then uh, just resume uh, two victories back to back against Toulouse and Amiens in late October, early November. Um, and in that period, he was uh, heavily, uh, heavily criticised. So I, I, I'm not saying he was about to be to be sacked or something like that. But I, for one, did not see Sabri Lemouchi getting getting sacked. Sabri Lemouchi being the Rennes manager before Stefan. Um, so I'm not saying that he would have had the axe if he didn't have won that game. But you know, he uh, he'd be he'd be quite uh, he'd be quite pleased with um, with those three points. So this was Ren in tense so which is ironically only three points from from Angers. i mean it's it's horribly it's horribly <laughs> tight so you've got Angers yeah. third who have 24 points and then four points down you've got nice who are 12. even strasbourg are not that far from Angers. Uh, strasbourg are two wins away from from being from being sir that's how that's how close that's how close it is um just like lille i do believe that uh, and Saint-Étienne will benefit from not having the, this European distraction, which has been uh, a complete, I mean, a complete waste of time, uh, except for the fans who have maybe uh, made some uh, decent European trips. I, I read, uh, I've seen on, on Twitter how uh, what a great time Ren had in uh, in Glasgow when they played that uh, played that Celtic. So a bit jealous there. Um, and uh, that both sides would would I would think play better in the second half of the season. I would. You know, I would, I would hope, uh, because no offence to to sides like Montpellier, Bordeaux, or not, I do believe that Rennes and Saint-Étienne have quality, have strength in depth, in depth, and that they should be uh, challenging for European places, even if it is to, you know, get knocked out at the first time of asking. Yeah, that's true. Saint-Étienne, uh, this was the first time they didn't win under Claude Puel on his tenth match, so they've been doing pretty well. Uh, sorry, not the first time they didn't win. The first time they lost uh, in his 10 matches in charge. Uh, so they've been doing all right. Um, and uh, I should mention, yeah, sorry, Rennes did win in November against Amiens. And they also had a match postponed uh, that was against Nîmes. Yeah, so they haven't Nîmes. played too much yeah. in Ligue 1 recently, actually. Actually, um, funny story is a game at Nîmes that I went to on Saturday night almost got postponed because of the rain. Because it actually started to rain just before kickoff. And the pitch was terrible, so you can easily understand on that pitch, uh, a bit of rain and basically the, the game's postponed. Well, uh, now I know not to go to football matches with you, Philippe. <laughs> sounds <laughs> sounds unlucky. Um, for Saint Etienne, Luis Johnny with his first goal since the 16th of December 2018. Um, mm. So that's a long time. Uh, I was kind of like him to be honest but yeah almost a year without a goal for a forward is is pretty rough on the other hand Rafinha has scored again for Rennes uh their record signing scored the first goal off a del Castillo assist uh so not bad I think he's scored three in the last uh, four possibly uh let's move on to Nimes which you were just mentioning Philippe 1-1 one, one. how was yeah. the game uh it was okay. 
I've seen, I've been to worse. I've been to worse. Um, <laughs> just like uh, what uh, is being said all over the country, Nim is very adventurous. They are one of the rare sides playing 4 4 2, dynamic 4 4 2, and they're playing uh, it against a side who uh, it's almost a religion to play with three uh, strong physical midfielders in a 4 5 1 or 3 5 2. I mean, they're probably one of the only they're probably the only sides in the league I would think that they're playing that are playing with just two central midfielders. So of course they got they got overwhelming midfield. Uh, they didn't do much um, in terms of um, of building up to play. Um, so in the end there was uh, quite a bit of hoofball. I did I did like the fact that the crowd wanted um, you know as a place to actually play football to play football on the deck. I mean you could tell that the crowd. Uh, didn't want uh, each time someone did a did a hoofball, uh, they were starting complaining. Even each time a player uh, made a pass, for instance, um, the uh, the midfielder makes a pass backwards to the centre back, or even worse, to the goalkeeper, they were starting to get uh, uh, to have to have a moan. And I, I pretty much like that about Nîmes is that they don't really care about well, they they do want to win, yes, but they want to win with uh, playing football, uh, shall we say, the right the right way. Mets always found uh, very good going forward, uh, so uh, decent, a decent enough goal, and they probably should have won the game honestly because um, it was due uh, Nîmes equalizer was due to to a mistake, and actually the player Renaud Ripa who equalized uh, was uh, had been injured for five minutes and he actually oh came. wow <laughs> uh, yeah he 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 scored with uh, so the leg he was injured on I think his left leg. Uh, and uh, his goal was uh, just before he got uh, he got subbed, and after that, I mean, not much happened. But it was intense. It was end to end stuff. I mean, uh, if 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 you've been to a couple of uh, of Liga and League Two games, I mean, you would say you you've been you've been to much 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 worse. <laughs> Saying this, um, I'm I'm quite uh, I'm quite enthusiastic about the relegation battle. I'm afraid Nîmes uh, are not going to win a lot of games this season. I don't think. With that system, um, and uh, they're probably going to struggle to uh, not finish in, in the bottom two. I'm not sure what's happening with Toulouse. It's uh, um, we'll get there. Yeah, you'll get there. Okay. <laughs> uh, it looks it looks bleak. Uh, Mets, I think, have too much going forward to uh, to finish in the bottom two, and then you have you have Dijon, you have Amiens, you have Brest. To to me, who who. Who look like a quality side? Who look like they they can uh, they can take uh, take wins from other from other teams uh, if uh, if their minds that uh, is that it? But yeah, as, uh, other than that, it, it was it was not a bad game. It was not a bad game. I actually think that Nîmes could get a result against Lyon on Friday, considering that Lyon, you know, they have big. It's in between two big games against Lille and Leipzig, as we said, and they do have a tendency to uh, you know. Lose concentration. I'd like to think so. Huh? I'd, li- I'd like to think so, but I, I, <laughs> I agree with Philippe's uh, observation that I really don't see a lot of Nîmes uh, in terms of you know them doing much to avoid relegation. And it really depends on how bad the others are. Uh, Dijon, as we have seen, you know they are very capable in you know doing the unthinkable at times, as evidenced by their recent wins over. Over PSG and, and Rennes, uh, and it really just it just goes to show how bad will Toulouse or Metz or even Amiens um, be this season, 
because they're a side that hasn't really strengthened. Um, mm. Even even the players that we thought that would have an impact, like Zinedine Fahad, hasn't really sort of caught on fire, especially as was the case earlier this year. They've drawn perhaps too many. They've only won twice, both at home against teams just below and above them in the table. They're not scoring a hatful of goals, although that doesn't really get you anywhere these days. Um, and sometimes, you know, they do get beaten easily or it's narrow, but they, they're just very listless and luckless. Um, I mean, I like to think that at home, you know, um, they will pick up something on Friday, of course. Um, <laughs> but really, it just doesn't seem to be coming together. And it really, for me, it just depends on how poor, you know, those other teams will be. I mean, they just, they just seem like more of an, uh, a, uh, the type of side that wins on their travels. With You've yeah. got uh, Zindit Ferrat on the, on the right-hand side. You've got uh, Romain Filippoto on the left. Very quick wingers, very technical. And you've got, uh, you've got some decent forwards who score even when they injure. I mean, it's, it looks like they could get a few wins on the road, but they're just not doing that. It's just not happening. They are... One of three sides who are yet to win on their on their travels uh, this season, which is which is quite rare. Four draws and, and four defeats, because the way the way they play, the way how quick their wingers are, and uh, how strong their their centre forwards can can play in the air, they, they could get goals. But I just can't see them. You just can't see them scoring against organised defences, and in league out, that's all we have. We, I mean, every every side has an organised defence. Not saying. That, High-quality organised defence, but it is it is it is organised. So, you know, um, going from the from the strengths of the squad, I think they they sold basically all their good players, and the only guy uh, I think who's a new guy, Harris Dorjevic, number seventeen, when he came when he came on, that really coincided with with Nim uh, first of all getting the equaliser and being much more uh, just being much more uh, present in the. Um, in the challenges against uh, against Mets, so you know, a bit things are looking a bit bleak. Uh, yeah, Mets with another goal for uh, Habib Diallo. Uh, as usual, he scored nine out of thirteen for them. Let's move down a little bit further south, over next door to Montpellier, who played Amiens and obtained a big win for two. Uh, and uh, Mo, I know uh, that Nemanja Radonjic had a very nice goal against Brest, but surely Andy Delors' goal was the best of the week. It was, it was, it was absolutely fantastic, and um, you probably won't catch me saying it's goal of the week considering the, the late dramatic nature of Radonjic's goal, but it was uh, deserving. <laughs> and and you know, one thing that really stood out for me in this result was that how good are Montpellier um, recently? Um, really sort of defying expectations. Um, you know, the the front three of uh, Delors, Labor, um, with Savagne behind them, but also um, Mollet, Mollet behind Mollet, as yeah. well. Um, they've been fantastic. They've scored 12 goals in their last five. Um, in the last five games, three, three and four at home in the last three, which is not Montpellier. And it's absolutely even less than Zacharyan um, in terms of style. Um, well, and they've just been absolutely fantastic. I, I feel that, you know, they've, they've 
you know, aside from that really awkward, you know, probably unlucky defeat to Rams, they've been really, really good now for, for the best part of October and November. Um, and they're really amongst the goals. Their players are really enjoying themselves. And they've, they've shot up to, to fourth, and they absolutely deserve it because they are shooting goals. You know, the strikers are, you know, they are firing, but also the team are more cohesive as a unit, not just the defensive, you know, tight rearguard, um, uninspiring up going forward that they, they had the reputation of being. They've really, you know, hit the hit the gas, they've struck goals, um, and they're doing so in, 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 in interesting formations as well. You know, they do three at the back with two wing-backs um, on, on Saturday, continuing that trend. Um, and, you know, goals are coming in from midfield as well. So they've, they've been fantastic, and I think that they're absolutely deserving of uh, fourth. You know, obviously, Leon have also won you know, four games in a row, but have they done it in a style that Probably Montpellier has um, not not so much. Um, it'll be interesting to see again. They've also got an interesting couple of uh, games coming up. Um, PSG next week and Lille the week uh, next weekend before um, they close out at home against against Brest um, for the year. So I I think at this stage, considering that obviously Lyon will more or less, either Lyon or Lille will go up. Um, I think for me that they've been more interesting than Bordeaux, personally. And I think the dark horse is for Europe. It's the whole paradox, isn't it, of this, you know, Michel Derzakarian being in Montpellier. This is his third season now. And he's really, you know, he's brought a very strong defensive solidity with him. He's... I mean, he's really the specialist of nil-nils. I saw that when I was in Reims and he was there. And we saw this with Montpellier as well. And that's kind of the foundation of this side, which also, since last season, has a very strong attacking potential, which is held back by Der Zakarian's uh, defensive mentality. But if, you know, if they were to go full out with their attackers, what would they lose at the back? That's, that's the question. Um, but, you know, it was great to see all of those forwards on the on the score sheet on Saturday. They can be a very exciting team on their day. Um, they just struggle a little bit away from home, don't they? That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and... well, I was just surprised, really, because Montpellier haven't been playing like that last season. It's just that they haven't been pillaged by, by other, by the, the rest of Europe, by all their key players. I mean, they kept the same squad. And they're basically mm. the same footballs they're playing last season. It's just that the the other sides in the league have been have not been have not started as well as, as the other season. And that's why they're fourth. They just they just they just keep playing the way they they used to play. The the, the way they're playing last season, which is very good. It's very high standards. Yeah, and yeah. and they've been just short of Europe for a few years now. Um, Last year they finished six. I think they had a little dip in form at the end when you know they could have maybe made it for Europa League, but it didn't work out. So I'm very excited to see how they turn out this season. Uh, I will say for Amiens, uh, another goal for Gal Kakuta, the veteran, and a goal for Jack Lan, uh, 18-year-old Swedish boy who scored for the first time with Amiens. So uh, another one to look out for uh, in Ligue 1. 
Uh, let's move forward quite quickly before we uh, talk more about the French draw later. Uh, Reims hosted Bordeaux. That was a 1-1 draw. Josh Maja scored a, well, what we call in France a Majer. So uh, he's very closely named. Uh, it, it was a great goal. But Bordeaux conceded at the 93rd from Boulaidia. It was a terrible defending from Bordeaux on that goal, I thought. Um, and including from, uh, it breaks my heart to say it, but including from Laurent Cacherny, who was supposed to be marking Dia. 1-1 uh, there. Nice, as we mentioned, beat Angers 3-1. Uh, they scored some wonderful goals as well. Uh, team efforts. Uh, I think Mizian Maulida scored a goal where there was two back heels in the build-up from, from Dolberg and and uh, Pierre-Les Melou. Dolberg scored again as well. Um, and Arnaud Lusamba was uh, the first goal for Nice. Nantes-Toulouse, 2-1 uh, win for Nantes. Abdoulaye Touré scores for his 100th match with the club. Uh, it came from, he scored a penalty uh, where Isia Gassila was penalized for a handball in the box. Now, Anton Kumbare said after the match, that's never a penalty. It was ball to hand. My question is, <laughs> what year is he living in? Because the rules changed a few months ago and he doesn't seem to be aware of this and of I mean, many other just, tendencies yeah, in Liga. It, it's just epitomizes just how poor he's been and how much of a poor coaching change that was for Kumbari. Um, even though initially, you know, there were some positive signs as we mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of podcasts ago with 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 their goals. Um the victory against Lille and the unfortunate, unfortunate defeat to Toulouse, but they've really thrown everything away. Uh, to Lyon, rather, so yeah, and, to, and to Rennes, Rennes, yeah. Uh, but they've really, over the last four games, you know, against Lyon, they've really let Lyon back in uh, to the game, um, having you know played a very decent sort of sixty minutes uh, against Montpellier. They were absolutely poor, um, and then you've got you know against Marseille, they were poor. Once more, um, not helped by Moreira's red card, but then on Sunday, um, you know, again, it's just, you know, they've really not helped themselves going down 10 men in the first half of the second game in a row. Kumbuare has absolutely no idea. Um, and, you know, there was a stat that was saying that he's, you know, has, was it 0.85 points per game um, over the... Over the point five, sort of, yeah. Yeah, 0.85 um, points per game uh, since the start of last season, also the season before, which is an absolutely shocking record. And now to lose, have gone from a promising sort of lower to mid-ranked team um, that could, you know, under a coaching change, you know, shoot up and sort of steady the ship. Instead, they've lost five on the bounce now. Kumbori has, uh, he's lost 24 matches with, uh, since the since the start of last season, and that's with three different clubs. Exactly, and it's just so... horrific. And it's it just epitomizes, you know, some coaches have a poor record. He's 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 not, he hasn't sort of taken into the the changes sort of in in the league play as the old school coaches like the Zakarian has. You know, he's not changed with the times. He still sees himself or still sees the league, as was the case in te- ten years, uh, where a couple of wins against uh in, in a couple of six pointers against the teams with you uh, at the bottom of the table um and all the good work that he was doing a month ago where they were promising but were probably unlucky um as i mentioned a few minutes ago um that's all gone now because the last three or four games have been absolutely woeful 
Um, they're not scoring now, which was the only positive that they had. The defense is really, and, and the, 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 you know, the, their minds are going. You know, two red cards now within the first half in the last two games. They mm. have conceded probably the most goals, the massive goal, negative goal difference. And where will it stop? Because I'm looking at their fixture list and I don't see them winning a game uh, before the end of the year because they play Monaco, who need the points just as much as they do. Um, Strasbourg at home is always, oh, uh, you know, let me know, is always a tough proposition. I'm not going to, you know, concede goals that easily. And then you've got Lyon and Nice away in the Coupe League and, and the final league and game before Christmas. Mm. Um, they, you know, if they don't at least get, especially in the four games, at least perhaps four points out of the 12, minimum, uh, I can see another coaching change coming your way. I think Toulouse's problem is not, I mean, it's mainly not really on the pitch. I think there's a kind of lack of leadership in the club in that the president, Olivier Sadran, is, you know, he's kind of gone missing. I mean, we don't really hear from him anymore. We don't really know what he does. Uh, oh, he, yeah. Never and... Did. Sorry? We never did know, knew what yeah. he was doing. Was in, he, he, just, he just appears in press conferences when uh, he has to fire Alain Casanova or he has to uh, rehire <laughs> him. Someone else, uh, yeah. yeah. Months later, that's that's the only time we hear Olivier Sadran at at Toulouse, and it is honestly it's quite it's quite miraculous that Toulouse is still in, still in the top league. With it is, a, yeah. It's a chairman who really doesn't seem to care. I mean, about about the club, and and since since the whole area doesn't care about football, you know, that's that's pretty impressive to be honest to to have Toulouse with such a still in the league, and and there hasn't been a. A charismatic manager, really, since Pascal Duprat, who was uh, the best thing to happen to them in the last few years, and yeah. they charismatic. still, yeah, they still miss yeah. his loss, and it's really a shame because, you know, pe- you always say Toulouse is more. People say Toulouse is more of a rugby city or whatever. That's not true. Football is extremely popular around Toulouse. It's just that the club isn't at all, and that's why you know, like last week, you have tons of people showing up for Marseille when they play in Toulouse. But no one really cares for for the you know the local team, um, and that's really a shame, I think. And you know, yeah, leader, they've had it coming for years, and if this isn't the year, it'll happen soon enough. Uh, the last game is their seventeenth straight season in the top flight. That's crazy. <laughs> 17, 17 seasons back to back, where they finished. Mostly in the second half of the season, uh, and yes, I mean, 18s two seasons ago, 16s this season, uh, last season. But you know, it's it's still mightily impressive given how how little everybody seems to care about the club. Yeah, mm. the last match of the weekend was Lille Dijon, one 0 win for Lille with a Victor Osman penalty, his eighth of the season, and all of them at home. Uh, in Ligue 2, very quickly, there was a northern derby between Valenciennes and Lens, the two clubs that Daniel Leclerc had managed uh, during his career as a coach. Uh, we mentioned him last week, he, he passed away recently. Uh, so tribute was paid to him at this match, but the day was somewhat ruined by the uh, reaction of Lens fans to a penalty and a red card. Um, they threw projectiles onto the pitch and that caused you know, all kinds of 
ridiculous events and fights between the players and so on. Uh, so a bit of a shame. Really lost lost two nil, so they lose first place as well. Lorient overtake them, and uh, for Le Havre, who obtained a two one win against Rodez, Tino Cadewere scored another two, so he's on fifteen goals already. There's only been sixteen matches this season, um, and he hasn't scored anything apart from penalties since August. So, uh, you know, he's maybe back in form. Uh, very exciting prospect him as well. Right, let's talk about the Euro draw, which happened on Saturday. I was completely caught by surprise uh, by that, I have to say. Uh, France, as you've probably heard, are in the same group as Germany, Portugal, and one other. The first match will be in Munich against Germany. The second match will be in Budapest against one of Iceland, Hungary, or Bulgaria. Or, if Romania wins that qualifying path, it would then be North Macedonia, Georgia, Kosovo or Belarus. So really, it could be anybody. Um, and l- let's just hope it's not Iceland because they're probably the best one it's out of the lot. <laughs> uh, and it's going to be Iceland. We just know yeah. we, we, we're playing them every two months. So it's just, it's just I don't know. I mean, to be honest, be I love playing them. Sorry? They're, they're a really fun team. I love playing against them. Um, yeah, the, when we're the names doing five but I mean, the last Iceland v France game was was a ball. Yeah, that's true. That was that was bad. What was it? It was um, this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the last game to have taken place it was November or October. <laughs> um, and third match against Portugal, of course, in Budapest as well. So, uh, what do you guys make of that draw, Germany and Portugal? Uh, it's a, uh, <laughs> it's not the easiest. It's not, um, and I'd be worried if I was France. Um, obviously, the format, you know, is is as such that they could conceivably finish third, um, and you know, get a, at least probably a point against Portugal and Germany, and probably still qualify, uh, depending on results elsewhere. And if that was the case, um, they would probably play. If I could get that up. Um, a knockout game against the winner or of the Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia group, and then make their way uh, through the tournament, um, playing probably against Italy, obviously going deep into permutations now. But the idea is that Portugal... Has, yeah, I, I wouldn't do that, because you know, keep in mind, they might still change the groups based on whoever qualifies and so on. It's so complicated, this stuff. Exactly. I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know well, only only for the playoff, only for the really the playoff winner. But I'm just obviously we know that they're going to play Portugal and Germany, and based on those two, Germany still are a unit. You know, they still are mm. a team's team full of young, brilliant players who are chomping at the bits. And I think Joachim Love have managed them pretty well. They looked very fearsome in the in the qualifying section, um, where you know aside from a, a defeat to the Netherlands, which they um, I think ended up beating um, was it last year or well, early on this year, but they lost four two at home to them. They are full of you know sort of young players who are who are very talented and you know play in a in a distinct way. And Portugal have really done very very well in blooding their perhaps aging twenty sixteen winner squad to adding a couple of uh, young players who are absolutely superb. Um, 
and they looked also pretty good in winning the Nations League. So, you know, there are two teams in interesting points of their cycles. Portugal, you know, augmenting their champion squad with with the likes of, uh, you know, Ruben Diaz, with um, the Wolves, the Wolves players, uh, you know, Ruben Neves, of course, Jao Felix, um, you know, Sanchez is probably doing a bit better than he was uh, two, three years ago. Um, they're, they're at interesting point in their cycle. Germany is at a new fresh point in their cycle uh, after obviously the pain of two years ago in Russia. They're a team that's ready to rid that. Now, France is interesting because obviously they've been very good for the last four years. Um, you know, finalists of the last Euro and, and then uh, obviously the winners in Russia. But there is a sort of a malaise in this team. Injury has really, you know, put a lot of question marks on the defence. You know, just the news today that Lille Dubois is going to be out for three months and Benjamin Pavard is probably not at the high level that he was in, in Russia. Um, and then you've got Samuel Umtiti not playing um, at, at Barcelona. You've got you know, various question marks. You've got Hugo Lloris not back in competition. Um, Pogba, yeah, exactly. He will take his rightful place. I don't see Steve Mandanda playing at the tournament, but you know the, the transitional succession has not happened there yet. And then obviously Pogba, Giroud, like you mentioned, you know France are relying on a player who and I absolutely love Giroud and I think he deserves his place. Um, but of course you're you're relying you're entering tournament football for a guy that's not really getting minutes at, on his club side. Uh, you know, and then you've still got you know what Kylian Mbappe will show up. What, Gries- what Griezmann will show up, um, you know, who will be the B-plan striker? You know, Ben Yedder is currently in there. You've got Lacazette, you've got, um, you know, still Martial, you've got uh, uh, Moussa Dembele, you know, there's still Clear, major possibly, issues. Yeah. You've got major issues in that squad at the moment. Um, you know, you, are we going to see a France team who will set up in the Euro still playing Moussa Sissoka somewhere in the midfield? Still thinking of, you know, tinkering with Matuidi on the left wing. These are major Obviously, I have lots of faith in Deschamps, although his good run may come. And it will be natural. It will be a natural end to the succession. I think if they do poorly in the Euros this year, there will be wholesale changes. And that will just be a natural end to what's been a fantastic cycle for, for France. But at the moment, I just feel like, you know, there's still too many questions as opposed to, Germany, Portugal, probably know their starting eleven already. You probably know the majority of what squad or what shape they're going to look at, and have have looked better. You know, France have looked very stodgy against Moldova, very stodgy against Albania recently, um, and haven't really impressed uh, too much. So all of those you know issues put together, it's going to be a very difficult group. Obviously, they're playing in Munich as well um, against Germany. But like I said, four points and you can still qualify. Northern Ireland qualified with just three. Um, you know, in 2016, so it's possible they could they could go absolutely crazy against Macedonia and and Kosovo or Belarus, um, and you know, <laughs> still make it. So, you know, you know, they're not exactly staring down the barrel yet, but it will be a tough ask for them to top the group. Portugal qualified with three last time as well, infamously. Yeah. Philippe, any thoughts? Um. I think that um, Germany are not as fragile as they were at the World Cup. Uh, a lot of people said that they were going to uh, defend their title with um, great determination and venom and whatnot. 
But uh, if, if uh, our win against them in 2016 proved anything that uh, they lack mental strength, I think they still do, um, but uh, maybe not as much. I think uh, now that they finished bottom of their group in, in Russia, they, uh, <laughs> they got used to the fact that they are not invincible and uh, that, they, that they need to be careful about how they, uh, they approach a tournament now. And I think they will be very, very careful. Uh, however, I, I do believe we have more talent than they have, and mm. um, maybe have more belief in in what uh, in what we can we can do, especially going forward. We have more belief in our system. Uh, we know that uh, Giroud will be the main the main guy. Uh, we know that Mbappe Griezmann, Matuidi will be playing. I don't think much will change uh, uh, between uh, now and, uh, and June, and. That um, even even if Deschamps tries something different with three at the back against Albania, I, I highly doubt that he will go against against his uh, his uh, proposed formation of of doing a four four one one with Griezmann behind uh, behind Giroud. Portugal, I'm really not sure, really not an expert on Portuguese football about how how things uh, are going. Um, they finished second to Ukraine. That's not very impressive. Um, I'm. Expecting not a not a particularly open game, just pretty much just like the Euro 2016 final. Really, um, don't think uh, not entirely optimistic uh, for this tournament because Dishon is still the is still the manager. He just won the World Cup here with, and he's probably going to call up uh, a squad that is very similar to the one we had in Russia. Uh, I see maybe one or two, maybe three or four new players. Uh, between in comparison to two squads, I just don't. I just don't think we'll be up for it. I think that loads of loads of other sides will be much more up for it than than we are. I'm thinking about Spain, who uh, who had a very strange uh, elimination to World Cup. Let's put it that way. Just not. Um, don't don't think he we will get knocked out in the group stage. I don't think so. We'll have to finish fourth or something like that. But uh, yeah, don't think we'll go that uh, that far this time. I feel like I've had a much more optimistic take on on the draw than either of you. But maybe I've been looking at it in a different way because you've. It seems you've take you've both taken a more pragmatic approach of, you know, how will France do? Whereas in my case, I'm looking at this in a slightly romantic way. I'm telling myself. First of all, we can get rid of this terrible joke in France that you know Deschamps is just lucky with draws, because I feel like that really takes away from the work and the credit uh, he deserves. Um, and I, I was always a little bit annoyed by that joke. So anyway, it, it's now dead. Um, but also, Portugal and Germany are the only two teams to have beaten France's uh, Deschamps France in a major tournament. Obviously, Germany in 2014, Portugal in 2016. So I see an opportunity for revenge. And when it comes to international football, I'm very spiteful and I'm very much looking forward to these matches. And I will I would take great pleasure in beating both of them <laughs> um, if, we, if we can pull it off. And, you know, I'm just going to live under the assumption that we can between now and then. Uh, and, and let's see what happens. Uh, another story on France, which was in L'Equipe this morning, is that they are struggling to find opposition for friendlies in March. Um, 
part of the reasons, one of the reasons for that, as was kind of explained on Jeff Van's Twitter, was uh, the potential fear of opponents, uh, you know, having to maybe lose to France and so on. But there's, it's really complicated because there's a playoffs going on. There's also requirements that host nations for the Euro have a practice match in their in the host stadiums before the Euro, which will they want, which they will want to do then. Whereas France contractually has to have matches at the Stade de France, a certain number of matches at the Stade de France every year. Uh, so it's kind of a puzzle trying to find who is actually available for this one. Um, Belgium refused because they, <laughs> they're they afraid of losing their first place, reportedly, is the problem their fee, in the FIFA ranking uh, against France, who's just second. Uh, but the rumor was that Ukraine is a possibility. And obviously, a few months ago, there was a rumor about Algeria as well, which uh, would be interesting. Uh, but yeah, nothing announced for now. And we'll see uh, where it goes. Great. Let's one more segment here about the Ballon d'Or. Uh, the ceremony took place this evening, Monday evening, in Paris, which uh, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of like the ceremony and the TV and so on, but it's kind of nice that it's in Paris and that it's in English and also in French and that, you know, hey, not so much a farmer's league, are we? Probably yeah, <laughs> but the result is uh, not good. For France. For now. No, I mean, I mean uh, to me, I don't think I don't think Messi deserves to, to win oh. uh, his his medal. That's well. what I mean that that's what pisses me off. I mean, I don't I don't like the the, the whole idea of a Ballon d'Or because football is a team it's a team sport, it's not individual. Uh, and I mean this this um, event shouldn't even exist if we're looking at it pragmatically but even so i mean it's uh, i mean you're, you're uh, right many extent. players who could who could who could who could have won this season it's just that it's just that messi won it because that's what he does it, it, and it was it, it was written on the wall honestly who is it anyone at all surprised he won even no. though the van dyke had, had a fantastic year um but and, i think that's, I think that's what the issue big, is yeah, if I could, if I could just say, like, that's what the issue is in that, you know, it's the the award is styled as who is the best in men's football, you know, in in any given year, um, and if they want to sort of chop it up and divide it, you know, it it should be, you know, so I think at the end of the day, Lionel Messi has had a fantastic individual year. It's not the award for you know who's the most improved player in the most improved team, who's you know who's really come up from zero to to sort of the upper echelons of world football, um, which we, in which case it would be Van Dijk, it would be Sadio Mane, it would be so, you know any any member of the Liverpool Ajax teams who've who've had an incredible year collectively. Uh, but the fact remains is that Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, in a given year, depending on whoever's whichever one's on top, have you know surpassed all individual records. I would like to see a different award. I would like an end to these popularity contests and. And you know the, the the relevant scheming as as it is, uh, because yeah, certain players in certain positions especially get overlooked. You know, I think there should be individual commendation for for players that have had fantastic years, as Modric was rarely awarded for for last year. But at the end of the day, the award is for the best player, and for me, there's only one. 
Um, so it's surprising, but not surprising in the end. Um, you know, in, in if you're if you're going to compare yourself to Messi, Van Dijk had absolutely no chance um, because he is, you know, supernatural. He is a footballing deity. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd like to see either that be abolished or that be, you know, for example, like, and this is probably going out on a limb, so I apologise if, if any of the <laughs> listeners think I'm crazy, but you know, like the the annual Academy Awards for Best Actor. It's not specifically who is the best actor of all times, you know, or who's the best actor in a given year. It's about, you know, which which person in a given movie has that little bit extra who who has who has really shone a little bit brightly. And I wish there was something similar for football because you can actually see that some people's stars have shone more brightly, you know, in the last twelve months. Ajax and Liverpool players obviously under that category so they should be rewarded um yeah but in the end of the day that's what the awards there for that's what it rewards and for me there's only one winner in fact you know last year for for Messi to finish fifth was an absolute travesty uh, for football for me you know it was an absolute disgrace to see um because he should not be anywhere outside the top two in any year since 2008 for me i did not know you had such strong feelings for the I'm about sorry, the yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been fatigued no one's asked my opinion for it today but i've been i've been <laughs> put that out there and i know 70 percent of people agree with me and 30 percent of people will be vehemently opposed but you know that's that's life i'll tell you what i really don't care that much who wins it i think it's just one of those things where you really hope that your guy wins it and you you're happy when that's the case so you know I, I hope, am happy. <laughs> I, you know, when, when Kylian Mbappe gets it, I will be happy. Um, I, that, w- that would be very exciting. Though it, the inter- there's a, the comparison you made with um, kind of acting awards is interesting because they've really fashioned it as a kind of Oscars type show, the ceremony and all yeah. that. But the difference mm-hmm. is the, the people know who's won. Well, like the, player know, the players know who's won already. It's all just yeah. acting, which isn't the case at the Oscars. Not that I know well, of you get, you get that already, but obviously they don't turn up if they don't want. They haven't won, and obviously because it's for France football, the magazine's already got an interview ready. Exactly. And, you know, for logistics and stuff, so they already know. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo did not turn up this evening because clearly he wasn't going to win. The same for Lionel Messi last year, which is sad. Um, but you know, it's it's really becoming a you know a big award now, and since you know it went back under the tutelage of France football. Um, you know over the last two years it's it's really become something else so um you know you know at the end of the day it really is just a, a show and i'd rather we get away from these popularity contests and clicks and you know like it's just it's, you know wetting the appetite of pre prepubescent football fans <laughs> who who have only known this era um, and perhaps we wouldn't be having this debate if there was different if there was a different uh, player winning every single year. If Messi and Ronaldo did not exist or they were long retired, maybe the next couple of years where you can have conceivably three or four favourites for any given year, as was the case in the late 90s or in early 2000s, um, perhaps we might you know, regain a bit of his mm. luster. There was one little moment I really enjoyed. Um, when, the, when they were giving the, uh, I think the women's Ballon d'Or uh, and they invited all the players who were there on stage, uh, so there were six Lyon players, or seven maybe, um, 
and the camera cut to Jean-Michel Aulas, who looked delighted, of course. And uh, sitting next to him, I couldn't believe it, was uh, Jacques-Henri Hérault. So <laughs> well, I don't know who I, comes I up I with this scene plan, but... <laughs> I, I, I don't see any of our players turning up there anytime <laughs> soon. Um, but, you know, you, I guess a job has its perks. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he seems like a guy with contacts, despite, uh, you know, despite everything yeah. else. So that's all from us this week. Uh, thank you for your time, Philippe. Thank you. Thanks, Mo. Thank you very much. As always, you can get all the latest from uh, GFFN at GFFN on Twitter or on our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. No, hold on. What is it? Yeah, that's it. Getfootballnewsfrance.com, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, crashed today on several occasions because of the... Uh, uh, all the whole Ballon d'Or stuff. So, hey, thanks for to all our readers for <laughs> paying so, such close attention, I guess. And uh, thank you to you, our listeners. As always, we'll be back next week.